0: Stop. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I had to do that after the Go Sermon. For those of you that weren't here uh, a couple of weeks ago in the series, Go Yield Stop, I preach what I believe is the shortest sermon on record. Uh, one word, two letters, that's it. We're asking that Guinness World Record would recognize that as the shortest sermon. And uh, it was fun to do one week, but I have more to say. And uh, We had Pastor Darren uh, fill in when I was gone, and he did the yield sermon, and let me just say I love that. I love that our church has so many pastors being able to use their gifts and talents, and it's a strength of a large church that we can all use our gifts and talents, and I can be the lead pastor, and others can use their gifts to equip you to do work of ministry. I love that, and so glad that he could fill in. And now today we're doing stop, and uh, the message is stop your sinning. And i got to tell you, I have been looking forward to this message not because I get to preach a hard message. This is going to be a hard message. I'm going to tell it to you straight. I'm going to tell you the truth. And I look forward to this message of telling people to stop their sinning, but not because it's just like, oh, great, I get to really go through the list and hit people. Because I can tell you what, when I do this, I'm, I'm excited to preach it because I know that when people are headed down a road of destruction and I can help stop them, That's a good thing. When people have behavior that is destructive and they're looking for the church, somebody to say, would somebody please say stop? And I can be the one that God uses to say stop. That excites me, that people will return from the error of their ways and come back. So it excites me. But I gotta tell you, it also, I preach a hard message, not in joy, like, boy, I get to hammer people. It's one of those things that it kind of breaks my heart when I do it. And I hope you feel that whenever I preach on a hard message, that it's because my heart is breaking, but I love you enough to tell you the truth, okay? It's like the two guys that were talking to each other, the one guy said, well, we fired our first pastor and hired a new one. And the guy said, well, why'd you fire your first pastor? He said, well, he'd always preach about hell, and we didn't like it. So he said, well, what does your second one preach about? And he said, well, he preaches about hell too. And they said, well, why do you like the second one and not the first one? They said, well, they both preach the same thing, but the first guy acted like he liked it that we were going there. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be the one that's like, hey, people that don't know Jesus are going to hell. I don't want to be happy about that. I want it to break my heart. I want it to be something that people realize I'm telling the truth, I'm speaking it in love. So today I'm talking to you about stop. I know stop is an important word to learn. It is. I mean, as a kid, you learn that. I mean, parents, you have to teach your kids stop. Uh, how many know when they have the ability to break away from you and they pull away from your hand, you gotta be able to have a tone in your voice that says stop and they know stop, right? Because you could say stop, stop, or you could say stop. And how many know that one? You're like, er, you know. You gotta learn the same word, different tone. And I, I think sometimes the Lord uses that tone, of stop, stop, stop. I'd rather have them just use the light tone. But stop is an important word, and some of us have issues with it. You know, we don't like stop signs. We don't like stop. I I don't have a problem as much as stop signs. It's stop lights. As I'm coming up and I see that light green, I'm like, stay green, stay green, stay green, stay green. Don't go yellow. I'm like, you know, mumbling. And then it's yellow, and I'm like, oh. And and, and then I work on my patience. But I got to confess, uh, how many are with me that that the red turn arrow, like, just drives you crazy? Because it's green for these guys and there's nobody coming here, but you've got that red. How many are thankful they're starting to put the yellow light in, huh? The blinking <laughs> yellow. That's just saving me like a whole bunch of repentance. I'm just saying right now. <laughs> but stop. We learned it as a kid. You know, stop. You're doing those time tests, you know, like 8 times 8, 64. This is, and you're doing the thing. You're going as fast as you can. Also, will say, stop, drop your pencils. Oh, stop. Okay, stop. We, we, we learned it as a kid. You want me to stop this car? Pull it over right now? All right, so even though you got that in your mind, stop is still a good word. It's a really good word. It's a tough word for us, but it's a good word, and it could save your life. And I believe the Holy Spirit is here today telling us to stop. I believe that one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to tell us to stop. That's one of his responsibilities, and I want to read that to you in John chapter 16, verse 7 through 11. This is Jesus speaking. He's getting ready to go into heaven, and he says this, but I tell you that I'm going to do what's best for you. That's why I'm going away. The Holy Spirit cannot come to help you until I leave. But after I'm gone, I will send the Spirit to you. The Spirit will come and show the people of this world the truth about sin and God's justice and the judgment. The Spirit will show them that they are wrong about sin because they didn't have faith in me. They are wrong about God's justice because I'm going to the Father and you won't see me again. And they are wrong about the judgment because God has already judged the ruler of this world. And so Jesus is saying, when I leave, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he, he does so many wonderful things in our lives. He empowers us, he gives us peace, he comforts us. matter of fact, the name for the Holy Spirit, one of them is Comforter. But there's another thing that he does is he convicts us of sin. And Jesus is saying, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be the one that says, that's wrong, stop. That's wrong. And in the book of Acts, right after the Jewish people had just crucified Jesus, the apostles were preaching and the Holy Spirit brought conviction on them and they knew that they were wrong because they had that conviction. And the Holy Spirit says, stop to us. He convicts us of our sins. And then he convinces us that Jesus is righteous, that he really did what he said he did. So it's the Holy Spirit convicting us and convincing us that there's judgment ahead of us and we need to repent. And so the Holy Spirit does that. He says, stop. He says, stop. He always is whispering and talking and sometimes shouting. But how many know in a world like this that hardly ever talks about sin, people don't even know what sin is. They just don't. You, you, you hardly hear people talk about sin. Matter of fact, when I preach on sin at church, usually that's when I'll get the most emails. Yeah, and you know what it is? It's good emails. People are like, thank you, pastor, for preaching on sin. We were looking for a church that would preach on sin and would help people to understand that sin is real, that God offers a plan. He gives them grace and they can live on mission for him. Thank you for preaching that. I don't even know if everybody knows the definition of sin. And I know some of us say, well, sin is falling short of the glory of God. Okay, that's a good start. But I think in our culture that we just don't understand that all the way. Some will say, sin is missing the mark that God has set of perfection. That's another good example. Let me add to that. Sin is an immoral act considered to be a transgression or violation against divine law. That means God set up a law. And when we go against that law, when we break the law, We sin, and when we sin, we get separated from God. Another thing that could add to this is a deliberate action, attitude, or thought that goes against God, because God is here, and he's saying, I've got a way that you need to live, and when you fall short of that, you're sinning. And all of us are sinners, it's true. All of us are sinners, but so many people don't even know about sin. I mean, we don't treat it very serious, but we should. Sin is a terrible thing, it separates us from God. And I wish that we understood it better because we just don't talk about it enough. And, and you think about this if you told somebody, hey, you have cancer, and if they didn't know what cancer is, they'd be like, okay, what does that mean? And you're like, no, cancer is terrible. Cancer is destroying your body. Can't, if you don't get treatment, you're going to die. And then they're like, oh, cancer is bad. And I think in our society, it's almost like you have sin in your life. Okay, what does that mean? No, sin is bad. It separates you from God. It brings spiritual death. You've fallen short of God's glory. He has a plan for you, but that is separating you. And so I think we need to wake up and understand it more. But we've de- we just degraded it and downgraded it where it's no big deal. Yeah, I sin. Oh, well. And we become so desensitized to it that all of a sudden we start to say, well, I don't care. I'm gonna sin because it feels good. And I don't care even if it's wrong, I'm gonna do it. And then we desensitize a little more and we say, I want it even if it hurts me. And then people say, I'm gonna sin even if it hurts other people, I'm gonna sin. And then it gets sad because people get to a point, I'm proud of my sin. I'm bragging on my sin and I want you to call my sin good. That's the society we live in. And we have one video that we have never used in the history of our church. We went to Las Vegas and we shot three videos. I preached a whole sermon in Death Valley and then I preached a little intro video at the wedding chapel where Britney Spears got married. And I said, marriage needs to be more than a 24-hour thing, you know. And then we did a little man on the street thing. So we had this wash away your sin soap and we're walking down the street and we're trying to see if we can do the video. And, and we're like, hey, real quick, what do you think of this soap? And they're like, woo, I hope it works because I'm a sinner. And they're mugging for the camera. Put me on there, big sinner, woo. And I just thought, Yeah, we're not using that. All right, you know. That's the world we live in. It's a law of psychological acceptance. Let me read this for you. It says, when we in our minds, we habitually tolerate sin, our senses become dulled, thereby diminishing our ability to discern good from evil. Consequently, when faced with choices between the two, we may well choose evil over good without the slightest awareness of our sin or tinge of conscience. Think about that. We've we've so accepted sin, sin that would shock people years ago, has become so normal that it doesn't even bother us. We don't even feel a tinge inside because we've so normalized sin, and people are just like, I am happy about my sin. I don't even think there is sin, and if there is, I'm happy about it. Now, we've gotta learn how to live in a world And help people understand what sin is, and I think we need to realize that the world doesn't like it when we shout at them. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, used to be culturally, preachers, all of them would go up in the pulpits and preach against sin, and it was just every week. You know, something was about sin. Matter of fact, I was watching old Billy Graham uh, things, and he's up there. He's like, "You're going to hell." Jesus offers a way. Your sin has separated you. Eternal damnation. And he's doing that, and I'm just like, I wanted to get saved again, you know? And he's like pointing at him and shouting, and I was like, wow. Now people would be like, shh, Billy, could you bring it down a little bit? Tone it down a little bit. We don't need to do that. So they don't like it when we shout at them, but they're accepting our talk to them, and they'll accept a whisper. But I don't think they're hearing our whisper very well. And so if the Holy Spirit's going to use us, we're going to have to learn to talk in a non-threatening way like that, not yelling, but being able to bring a conviction with sin to bring the truth. Do you know that the Bible gives us lists of sins, okay? Now, I won't read all the lists, okay? But I just want to read one short thing. Paul is helping the church here in Galatians chapter 5, and he's trying to help them understand what sin is. And so in Galatians chapter five, he says this, people's desires make them give in to immoral ways, filthy thoughts, shameful deeds. They worship idols, practice witchcraft, hate others, and are hard to get along with. People become jealous, angry, and selfish. They not only argue and cause trouble, but they are envious. They get drunk, they carry on at wild parties, and they do other evil things as well. I told you before, and I'm telling you again, no one who does these things will share in the blessings of God's kingdom. So Paul's given us a list, and there's a list. How many know when you read the Bible, you'll see the list? And the Holy Spirit will give you a whisper. That's for you. And you have a choice to just change a page or hear the truth. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit all throughout history has whispered and talked and shouted. And one of the examples of shouting was when God would use prophets. The prophets were anointed by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and they had a moment to shout. And I think about David and Bathsheba. Here's David. He sins in adultery, has her husband killed. So now he's a murderer and an adulterer, and he's thinking he gets away with it. And God calls a prophet to come in and shout at the king. And the prophet goes in there, tells a story, and David's all mad, like, something happens to that guy that did that. He's a terrible guy. And all of a sudden, Nathan goes, thou art the man. You're the one that's sinning. You're the one that needs to stop. You're the one. You killed him. You had adultery. You need to repent. How many know that'll get your attention? I'd rather listen to the whisper. I'd rather hear the whisper of God. But God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has used prophets to call back the nation, to call back individuals, and say, you're the one. You're the one that needs to repent. Sometimes when people were sinning in the Bible, God would send storms to stop them. If you know the story of Jonah and the whale. You know, here's Jonah. He's sinning. He's going against what God said. God said, be obedient. He's like, I'm going to be disobedient. I'm going to do my own thing. God sends a storm. They're like, we're all going to die. And Jonah's like, no, we're not. Just throw me overboard. you all be safe. Yeah, you know, it's my fault. Yeah, you know, and they throw him overboard and fish swallows him up. How many of that will get your attention? That's like, <laughs> that's a stop sign. That is serious. You know, another one, you know, speaking of animals, in in Numbers chapter 22, we have Balaam's donkey. Here's a prophet, Balaam, who's supposed to be going, You're not obeying the Lord, or keep obeying the Lord. He's supposed to be the one doing that, shouting for the Holy Spirit. But because he's bought off because of greed, he goes and speaks against God. God's like, Uh uh, that's not the way we're going to do this. We're not going to do this. And so God sent an angel with a sword to kill Balaam on his way home. So while he's riding on the donkey, and you can read this, it's there. I mean, he's riding on the donkey. The donkey somehow can see into the supernatural that Balaam can't see, and he sees the angel with the sword, and he turns while Balaam's trying to go this way, and Balaam's beating the donkey, you know. And then also they're going down a thing, and the donkey sees the angel standing in an alleyway, and the donkey goes way over to the side and scrapes Balaam, you know, because he's trying to stay away from the angel, and then Balaam's beating the donkey. Then finally they go down another street and the angels got him cornered and the donkey just lays down, you know, like, and, and, and the crazy thing is it says God opened the donkey's mouth and the donkey started talking to Balaam like, I've been a good donkey. Don't, don't beat me. There's an angel there with a sword. And then he starts dialoguing with the, with the donkey. How many know that's a bad day? You know, you're, you're talking to your donkey. What are you doing? Yeah. And then you see the angel of the Lord with the sword. That is a stop sign. So, God has a way of using things to be stop signs. God will use your friends. How many know that's really hard to be a stop sign to a friend? I had a friend that was really wrecking his life. And God said, You need to be a stop sign. And I'm telling him, Stop, 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 stop. And he won't listen. And so I went to another friend that serves as an overseer with me. And I said, We've got to get him to stop or he's going to wreck his life. And I said, We've got to tell him to stop. But I don't want to lose my friend, but we've got to tell him to stop or he's going to lose everything. God will use you to be a friend to put up a stop sign for people. Even on the cross, the one thief was issuing a stop sign to the other thief. Stop it. Stop hurling insults at him. He's innocent. We're the crooks. Stop what you're doing. And sometimes God calls you to be that type of friend to say stop, stop, stop what you're doing. said it before, but it's true. God uses his word With Josiah the king, he reads the word, and he's, oh, just so convicted. It's a stop sign for him. That's why you need to read the word. That's why you need to do your scripture, observation, application, prayer, your soap. Because when you read that, the Holy Spirit does something in there and says, stop this. Stop this. And in the whisper of your private devotions, man, you change. God's always given us stop signs. Okay, so you personally need to listen to the stop signs that that God has given you. When the Holy Spirit gives you a stop sign, you need to listen to that. And if you're here and you're involved in some type of sin and you know it to be wrong and you've been disobeying God and you're here and you, but you know Jesus, you're a follower of His already, but you know that you're disobedient and this is your stop sign right now. At the end of service, we'll have prayer team members up here and they'll pray for you, but this is your stop sign moment. Don't think, th- yeah, this is for the people that don't know you, Jesus. They'll have an opportunity to respond as well. But I'm telling you right now, when we end this service, if you need prayer for something, you need to confess something, you feel the Holy Spirit telling you to go up and pray with a prayer team member or take a knee or do that, you be obedient. Because that stop sign is for you. Now, we have to learn how to go out in this world and give them stop signs in love, speaking the truth, not winking at sin, but but helping them understand the seriousness of it and not having a bullhorn or a sandwich board. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, I remember once I was going to a football game and this guy was wearing this little sandwich board thing and it said like, repent or burn, you know, or something like that. And he's like, repent or burn. And I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm in. I repented. And he goes, no, you didn't because you're not wearing one of these. I'm like, well, no, lighten up, dude. All right, you know, yeah, yeah. Because I'm going to the ball game. I'm not going to hell. All right, you know. He's one of those guys are like happy to tell everybody, you know, they're going to hell. And uh, that, that's just not the way that I think we're supposed to be there. But we cannot be the way where we're like, that's sin, guys. You can't just whisper, you know, all the time. It's a little bit of sin. You know, get me like, sorry about that. <laughs> you know, that's not working either. All right? So we got to learn to dialogue with them. So I was praying about this. What's a great example of this? In John... Uh, in, in the Gospels, uh, we see this story. In John chapter 8, we see Jesus doing an amazing job. And so I want to use him as our example. What better example? But in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, let me read this story because this is Jesus not winking at sin, but convicting somebody and moving him forward. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. Again, he stooped down and rode on the ground. At this, those who heard began to walk away one at a time, the older one first, until only Jesus was left and the woman standing there with him. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, who, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, I want to let you know, adultery in the, those days, and even today, adultery is a sin. But in those days, adultery was punishable by death. They were right. The law of God said that if somebody commits adultery, they should be put to death. Now you'd say, why in the world would God say that? There's there's a deeper thing here. God was saying, I want marriage on earth to be a living illustration to all the cultures around you to see that I love you no matter what that I'm not going to break my covenant with you. I'm not going to break my bond with you. I am faithful to you. And you are going to live out a living illustration in marriage where two people will enter into a covenant relationship, and in that covenant relationship, say, till death do us part. And so when you break that and you go and commit adultery, you are ruining the illustration. You are missing the severity of being in covenant, And he said, and if you are going to ruin my illustration for the world, then you should be stoned, and you're going to have to die for that because I want you to take marriage seriously, okay? Now, we're going to talk about this in an upcoming series about marriage. We're going to talk about that. But this was very serious, and so these guys were right. They had them on a technicality. And here's the thing. The Jewish law said that they should stone her to death, but the Roman law said no Jewish person can kill anyone without our permission, So they were trying to trap them and get in trouble with one group or the other. So that was their purpose here. Now, the woman deserved to be stoned, and you may not realize this, but when they would stone a woman caught in adultery, they would bring her to her father's house. And they would put her on the front doorstep, and they would make the dad wake up and come outside. And they would say, You were supposed to teach your daughter the importance of a covenant marriage. You were supposed to teach her that God wanted this to be a living illustration that he doesn't approve of adultery and you didn't do a good enough job preparing your daughter for the real world and she committed adultery and now she's going to die in front of you. Pretty serious stuff. If you're a dad here, take that charge. It's your job to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. They would take the man and they would say, the man caught in adultery, they would bury him up to his waist in dung. Okay, they'd bury him in this dung, and then they would wrap a towel around his neck and strangle him so he'd die and then collapse in the dung. And then when his family came to get him, they'd have to dig him out of the dung. And they were saying, your man here is worthless. He's like dung to us because he doesn't understand the seriousness of marriage. I'm really glad we're just living in a different age right now, right? You know, okay, thank God for grace and that we don't do that anymore. That doesn't happen. But you see the severity of this. And notice this, there's no man in this situation. They caught the woman but not the man because this was a setup. So Jesus bends down and starts writing in the sand. And just so you know, the word that he used for writing in the sand that the Bible gives us means that he was writing a list of accusations. It wasn't like he was randomly doodling and kind of thinking of his thoughts, like, what am I going to say here? Yeah, Yeah. Okay? He was writing things like, what about Delilah? And the guy's going, "Uh, that's my girlfriend. What about so-and-so? He's writing a list of accusations there where the guys are like, how does he know about her? I mean, kick a little dirt on that writing, you know. What is he doing? And so he's writing this list of accusations. Then when he stands up and says, the one who has no sin can throw the first stone. What he uses there, the one who has no sin, he's saying, the one of you that has never even thought about committing adultery with a woman, go ahead and throw the stone. A bunch of married guys there, a bunch of single guys. He said, the one of you that's never even thought about it, go ahead, throw the stone. Not one of them can throw the stone. And then The significance of throwing the first stone was this. Whoever threw the first stone was liable. If the judgment was wrong against the girl and you threw the first stone, The father could come back after you because you threw the first stone. So they're all like, I'm not going to be liable. I mean, I've I've thought thoughts before. I've done, I'm not going to do that. And so one by one, they all leave until only Jesus is there. Now, Jesus has never had that lustful thought. He has the right to condemn her, and he doesn't. In that, he calls her woman. And the term that he uses for woman is an honoring term, an honoring term. All of a sudden, in this moment, he's saying, you're down here, but I could see you up here. If you'll repent of your sin, if you will go and sin no more, I see a sinner becoming a saint. That's a beautiful thing. And, And he says, don't sin anymore. Don't sin anymore. And he puts a stop. Stop your sinning. But here's something I love about Jesus. He puts a go with the stop. Go and sin no more. He doesn't say, don't sin anymore and remember how bad you were and stay defeated. He says, go and live in grace. Go and be victorious. Go and be different when you stop what you're doing. I love that about Jesus. I love that. And, and, and every stop that we do to this world should come with a go. Go. Jesus says to stop it, but he wants you to be better. He's got a better plan for you. He's got an abundant life for you. You could turn from sinner to saint. You can do that. By the power of God, you can live in grace. So when we do this, when we talk to our culture, when we talk to people, when we give the stop, be sure to give the go added to the stop. Now, Jesus could have thrown that stone. Okay, think about it. He's the only one that could have thrown the stone and the law said she was supposed to be stoned, so Jesus could have brought her to the doorstep. And I was just wondering, why in the world did Jesus say, go and sin no more, and he didn't take care of the penalty? Because he knew he was going to take care of the penalty. She was at the right time in the right place. Jesus said, guess what? You deserve to die, but guess what? I'm dying for you. Your adultery deserves the death penalty. The guy deserves to be buried in dung and you deserve to be stoned, but guess what? I am gonna take all that for everybody, for the whole world. He says, now go and sin no more. Somebody's gonna die for that sin, and it's me. Wow, and he still says that to us today. Your, Your sin, he says, I paid for it. Your lust, your anger, your murder, your pride, your coveting, your envy, I paid for it. Your adultery, your jealousy, your astrology, your lying, your gossip, your profanity, your greed, I paid for it. It all deserves to be punished. Your abuse in your home, your drunkenness, your immorality, all that, it deserves to be punished. But he says, stop. I've paid the price. I'm the one. Now you can go in grace and live differently. And he says that to us today. He says right now, stop your sin. And some of you know Jesus, and you need to hear that loud and clear, stop your sin. But some of you don't know Jesus. You're, you're just You're caught. You're caught. You're here. You're caught. And the Holy Spirit's been saying, that's you, that's you, that's you. This is your moment to stop what you're doing, receive the grace of God, and then go in that grace. So if we could bow our heads for just a moment. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and I'm even speaking to people that are watching this online or on TV This is a moment that the Holy Spirit's saying, stop, 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 and you've heard the truth. You've heard that your sin has separated you from God, but the great news is Jesus Christ died for your sins so you could be forgiven. Now he stands before you saying, will you stop what you're doing, repent of it, turn away from the things that have separated you from God, turn towards him and go in this grace. He says, I'll forgive you. He doesn't wink at sin, but he says, stop and then go in the grace. So if that's you and you want in on this, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and I'll include you in a closing prayer. This is your moment. This is your moment. This is your moment to say, I'm in, pastor, I'm in. I heard the stop, I, I, I feel this, I'm in. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if that's you all across this place, could you just slip up your hand and I would love to acknowledge that and then you can put it down. Yes, I see your hand in the middle section and in the front and another one. Hands on the side, all over there are hands just going up everywhere hold them high this is your moment to say jesus i confess my sins before you i repent i turn i receive this grace yes and in the back somebody had both hands up and two in the back there one another one there this is your moment i spoke the truth to you in love everybody around you is pulling for you to do this in love yes i see your hand way in the back and way on the side section yes this is what it's all about this is your moment This is your moment to stop in just a moment. You're going to get to go in the grace that God has for you. You can put your hands down all across this place. And I want to lead you in this prayer right now. I want to pray this prayer, and I want you to repeat it after me out loud, and I'm going to ask that the people around you would repeat it with you just as a form of encouragement, okay? They're going to pray it with you. I want us to pray this right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins and all that I've done wrong. I want to stop the sin and be forgiven. So I receive that grace that you so freely give me. And I thank you for that grace. I thank you that you died on the cross and paid the price so that I didn't have to. I want to live for you for the rest of my life serving you and bringing you glory so god i thank you for those that made that prayer so simple but yet so true they've repented of their sin they said they were sorry and they said they will stop and now you'll give them the power to stop you will now give them the power to stop what they were doing and go forward in grace and i thank you for that i thank you for that and in just a moment god We are going to clap for those people and celebrate that. But I don't want to miss that there are people here that have known you, but have drifted away and they messed around and they heard the stop so clear today. I pray a spirit of conviction would fall on them and that they would stop their sin. They would turn from it and get back to what the Holy Spirit is leading them into, the truth, the good. They would stop and go the right direction. So I thank you for that. once again, I thank you for those that have new life now, new life because of you. They have a stop, and now they have a go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.